You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. Most of us remember that day. It's etched in our minds, a permanent reminder of tragedy. We all watched helplessly as lives were lost, heroes were born, and a nation was forever changed. The loss was unimaginable, the sorrow unbearable. But through that pain, We witnessed the resolve of a nation. We saw chaos give birth to courage. Fear transform into fortitude. And destruction give way to determination. In the midst of the brokenness, freedom stood immovable. Today, we remember those we lost. We honor the heroes who saved so many and grieve with the families who have suffered so much. We still remember and we will never forget. Well, as we reflect upon the significance of what happened on this day some years ago, what do you say we go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help in that? So, Father, as we come before you in prayer, we pray for the people of New York and the many whose lives were altered forever as a result of the events of 9-11. We also pray blessing and honor on rescue workers and all who sacrificed time blood, sweat, and tears to be able to rescue others and to help out in whatever ways that they could. And we remember the lessons of that day and of that season of history. And Lord, as we go before you in your word, we ask that you would, by your spirit, help us to receive your word, to, you know, learn how to live. We pray for those that are trying to figure out if you're even for real or legit, that you would reveal yourself to them in a special way that only you can do, Jesus. And we pray all these things in your name. Everyone said, amen. Well, man, it's so glad to, uh, I'm so glad to be with you guys this afternoon, one o'clock service. You know, I know I'm not supposed to have favorites, but if I did, the one o'clock service uh, is certainly uh, one of my favorites because Um, You guys are perhaps a little smaller, but mighty uh, as a service. And you know, we've been studying through this little book of Ephesians in the New Testament of the Bible, learning about our identities, who we are in Christ. And we've been looking at a different facet of our identities every week. And this week, we're going to look about what it means to be spirit-filled. Now, when I hear the word spirit-filled, for me, that has a particular meaning because of the way I grew up and where I grew up. I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and that was the home of a really famous Christian college there. And it seemed like every time the TV was on, the founder of that college was like making these outlandish claims and begging people for money over the TV. And so for me, in my mind, because of where I grew up, 
my thinking about being spirit-filled, I thought it was crazy religious wackos, you know? In fact, when you would drive onto the campus of that particular college or university, you would see all these flags lined up on the drive, and we called it Six Flags Over Jesus, you know, because of all the flags. And then there were these hands. There was like a statue of the founder's hands praying in front of the entrance. And the joke around town was if you flip a quarter up there, the hands will reach out and grab the quarter, you know? Uh, But that was all my perception, you know? Um, And my perception wasn't always fair. In fact, I found out later that a lot of people associated with that university were really great people, you know, and really good people. So I don't want to throw stones at them, but as you think in your mind about what it means to be spirit-filled, what are some of the things that are rolling through your head when it comes to thinking? You like me, you think it's like religious wackos, you know, that are called spirit filled. Like you think about people doing cartwheels in church while they're speaking in tongues and handling snakes, you know, or maybe you grew up in an environment where you you didn't go to church a lot, but you think spirit filled. Maybe that's like using the force on Star Wars, you know? So you're thinking of like maybe the Jedi Council and they're sitting around and they're levitating, they're making objects move using the force or something like that. What comes to your head when you hear Spirit-filled. What I want to ask you to do is erase all the stuff that's in your head that you think about Spirit-filled, because we're going to learn straight from the Scriptures what it means to be Spirit-filled. I think what you're going to find is it's far more practical and less spooky than what a lot of you guys are thinking. But before we study through the passage, we're going to do what we do every week during this series. We're going to ask the question, why should I care what the Bible says about my life or my identity? Why should I trust The Bible, because after all, have you heard that the Bible and Christianity is anti-science? Have you ever heard that? Raise your hand. Show me if you if you ever heard that that thought that the Bible is kind of anti-science. Have you heard? Okay, a bunch of us, right? Well, nothing could be further from the truth. That's actually a myth. In fact, the majority of the founders of the scientific revolution were actually followers of Jesus. People like Johannes Kepler. Kepler was the guy that discovered the laws of planetary motion, how the earth and the planets orbit around the sun. He's also the guy that invented eyeglasses. And so many of us in the room can thank him for that. He invented the pinhole camera. He also improved the telescope. And in one of his writings, look what he said. Before the universe was created, there were no numbers except the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is God himself. See, this is primary source. This is Kepler himself. It's not a secondary source saying what Kepler said. The Bible is not only pro-science, but it inspired people to learn more about science and use that science to serve humanity in really practical ways. And so we can trust what the scriptures say about our lives, our identities, and how we can live to best flourish on the earth. Now, today, as we look at living filled with the spirit, I brought a couple of props here. In this cup, you see some motor oil in here. And this represents what the Bible would call the deeds of the flesh. This cup uh, represents the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, drinking from the living water of the Holy Spirit. Now, if I drink from the deeds of the flesh, this could be really bad for me. You're like, Pastor Doug, don't do it, okay? Don't do it. And then if I poured some of this in with the water, they would separate because oil and water don't mix. They always separate. They can't go together. But even this glass of clean, clear water 
if I leave it here for a long time, what'll happen? Well, if I leave it here, dust will get in it. It'll go bad. It'll get stagnant. It could potentially, with the right light source, could grow algae in this glass. And if you look in the Bible, it teaches that being filled with the Spirit is not a one-time event, but it'll, it, you could look at the literal Greek rendering, and it would say, be being kept filled with the Holy Spirit. And so how many of you are Christian believers that you need a refilling today? You know, we've got to keep going back to Holy Spirit to receive a filling from him. And that's what today is all about. And so I'm going to submit one idea to you. And it's simply this. I'm spirit filled. So turn to your neighbor and tell him I'm choosing to be spirit filled. Go ahead. Good. And we get this from Ephesians chapter five, verse 18, where Paul tells us, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery or excess, but be filled with the spirit. Now, this passage is not saying that drinking wine is a sin, because if you look at the whole of scripture, you would see that Jesus turned water into what? Wine, didn't he? And don't tell me it wasn't the good stuff, right? It certainly wasn't Merlot. And, um, you know, friends don't let friends drink Merlot. But we see there in the New Testament and in the Gospels that Jesus turned water to wine. He's also, he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he ate and drank wine with people that that, that culture considered to be like sinners and stuff like that. Then you read in further in the New Testament, you would see Paul told Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach. Evidently, Timothy had some stomach problems. So it's not saying that all alcohol is bad, but the thing you got to understand is alcohol makes a really great slave, but it's not a very good master, is it? And it's talking about excess. That's what debauchery means is excess or over drinking or over indulgence. And it had a particular application here in Ephesus. Because the people in Ephesus were exposed to the Dionysius cult, the worship of Dionysius, the god of wine and drunkenness. And so here's what they would do when they worship Dionysius. They would go to these worship experiences where they would mix up this concoction in a cup and it had all these drugs like mind altering drugs in it. You know, it's just like crack and acid and, you know, speed and all this stuff mixed up and they would pour wine in there to give it some flavor. That's primarily the wine they're talking about. It's when people would drink this in the worship of Dionysius, it, it would alter their minds. They would be involved in these ceremonies in which they would worship little Dionysius statues. They would bring in erotic entertainment and it would lead to this big orgy. And it was said that if you worship Dionysius in one of these ceremonies, that you were possessed by the spirit of Dionysius himself. See, and this damaged people. It was drinking from the wrong cup. And it was so bad that even the Roman government had to outlaw the Dionysius cult because it was destroying people's lives, you know? In fact, you don't have to go very far from this theater under bridges around here to see what happens when you drink too much, you know? When you go to debauchery. There And so some of us in the room or online that are a part of this service, probably because of our family background and history and because we know we can't drink successfully, we have to say no alcohol at all. And then others of us can say, hey, you know, we can 
drink in moderation. We have the freedom to drink, but here's the spirit-filled question for us. Is drinking leading to debauchery? Is my drinking, what's it leading me to? Is it going to destroy my life like it did the people from the Dionysius cult in Ephesus? And so um, let's look at the five facets of being spirit-filled in Ephesians 5. And just as oil and water do not mix, number one tells us being filled with the Spirit is not compatible with idols. It's not compatible with idols. You say, well, I guess I'm safe. I don't have any little statues that I worship, right? Well, go with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, where Paul says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And so it broadens what being an idolater is, doesn't it there? So something might be an idol if it requires an overwhelming amount of your emotional attention and your financial attention. It's an idol if it's more important to you than your relationship to God. So for some people, their career is their idol. For other people, their political goals or aspirations are their idols. For other people, their sexual practices or identity isn't actually an idol for them. And for a lot of people, if their idol is taken away, it crushes their spirit because it's got such a you know, premium place in their hearts. No idol is designed to bear the weight of divinity. Only God can do that. And it's interesting to me that in this chapter we're studying, Paul talks a lot about sexual sin. And he's talking not to people out in the world out there. He's not being all judgy towards people outside the church. He's actually talking to people inside the church. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. It says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. And so a part of us living up to our identities in Christ, living filled with the spirit is to live sexually pure lives with what we think, with what we speak and what we act out upon. It's not wrong to be tempted, but uh, as I've heard it said, the bird may land on your shoulder, but don't let them build a nest there. You know what I'm saying? And so we want to stay pure as much as we uh, as much as we can. Now, one of the things that I've noticed about some churches is that they don't want to talk about sexual purity. They only want to talk about the Bible verses related to justice and equality. And then there are other churches, they love pointing the finger at people about sexual sin and struggles, and they never talk about equality and justice. But what walking in the spirit is, is holistic. The Bible is holistic. When you drink of the water of the spirit, it's all about purity and justice. You follow me? It's the whole package. It's not either or, but it's the genius of the end. Both justice and purity is a part of living up to our idea, our identity in Christ. And here's the thing is that when we don't, when we drink from the wrong cup, it leads to natural consequences. And this passage calls those natural consequences God's wrath. Go with me to verse 6 of Ephesians 5, where Paul says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so that passage in the first 
few words says there are deceivers out there that are trying to trick you, trying to trick me, trying to trick us. And they want you to think the wrong thing about God. They want you to think that God is some capricious meanie up there in heaven with a hammer ready to smack you and judge you. They want you to think that God doesn't have a good motive in his heart. But the reality about God is his wrath comes because he's like a protective parent that loves his kids and doesn't want his kids to miss out on heavenly inheritance that he has for them. That's God's heart for us. His heart for us is good. Um, But can I tell you that another part of the deception here is that a lot of deceivers want you to think, well, I'm a good person. And, you know, I won't experience the wrath of God if I try and drink of the flesh. You know, I'm immune from all of that because God's wrath and consequences is really just for the really bad sinners, you know, like the Nazis and the murderers and the racists and, you know, the Los Angeles Lakers fans and people like that, you know, that that's what, where the real wrath is going on. Um, but here's the thing that, that a lot of deceivers will say, too, is that, you know, God needs to be fair. And I want to tell you, God is not fair at all. And I don't want God to be fair because if God is fair, I'm screwed because I've sinned and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if we get his fairness, we're all screwed because what we deserve is his wrath and his judgment. But when you follow Jesus, you don't get fair. You get grace. You get his mercy. That's what we want right on. Check it out. So. When you believe in Jesus, what you understand is, is that Jesus died on the cross to take the wrath of God upon himself and not on us. And so now when he sees us, he doesn't see all the things that we've done wrong, but he sees the perfection of Jesus who lives inside us now. See, that's grace and that's mercy. And this is why we worship. And some of you who are new to church are like, why do they go on and on singing those songs? And they're, they're so emotional about it. And they're so grateful and thankful. And we're thankful because we know what we deserve. And we're thankful because God has been so kind to accept such as us. And if you think that churches are full of perfect people, you're so wrong. I know you've gone to churches where they all dress up and everybody looks so nice. Well, behind those clothes, I'm telling you, there's some sinners going on right on. They just cover up better around here. We just don't cover it up. We're like, yeah, we're a bunch of cuckoo people, right? We screwed a bunch of stuff up, right? Um, God's got a lot of jacked up kids and city tribe is where we all found each other. So check this out. Look at this spirit filled question. How are deceivers affecting my thoughts about God's standards for living? God's trying to protect us from drinking this. See, but how are deceivers tricking you into thinking that things are okay when they're not really okay. And they're not good for you and they're not good for society as a whole. Well, Paul's view of being filled with the spirit was shaped by what Jesus taught. And look at what Jesus said. This is number two. The spirit filled life is like the flow of a river. The spirit filled life is like the flow of a river. And we see this in John chapter seven, verse 38. Look at it with me. Jesus says, whoever believes in me as the scripture has said, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. I love this metaphor of a river. 
Jeannie and I, we love rivers. In fact, when we get away, we go up away sometimes uh, to get away to the hill country, and we'll go in the spring-fed rivers out there, and we snorkel around out there, and we swim around out there. I just love getting in rivers. I live in the river city. My wife and I go on walks on the river walk. Heck, we named our son River. We named him River. I'm not kidding. We really did, because I love getting in rivers. And one of the things I love about it is that when I'm underwater snorkeling, it's like I'm in another world. I see a different dimension of things. And I also like that it relaxes me. I'm hot from the Texas summer and it refreshes me and cools me off. And I also like how when you get in a river, you just sit there and you're like floating along, you know, in the river. You can get an inner tube and you float along and you can make progress that you couldn't have made on your own if you were trying to swim, it just carries you along. And have you ever felt like your life is like swimming in peanut butter and you just can't make any progress? And you know why? A lot of times because you're drinking from the wrong cup. But when you put your spiritual inner tube into the river of life, the Holy Spirit carries you along. And it doesn't mean you're never going to have any problems. And it doesn't mean that you're not ever going to have to grind it out and that life's going to be hard. But somehow he carries you along the way and he'll take you further than you thought you could go. And I was fascinated by these rivers in the Bible. You know, last year we were staying through Revelation and um, I, I studied this place called Heropolis. And there were these springs that came up in Heropolis and there were like hot baths where the Roman soldiers would go to Heropolis after they'd been fighting in battle and they would sit in those hot pools of water like hot tubs to heal up from the battle. And then there was another city not too far from that called Colossae. And in Colossae, the water came up cold and refreshing. It was known as a place that was sought after for the great drinking water. It was kind of like the Ozarka of the day, right? People loved the water from Colossae. But when those springs would flow down Mount Cadmus, they would meet up in a city called Laodicea. And by the time that water got to Laodicea, it was neither hot nor cold, but it was just lukewarm. And not only was it lukewarm, but it had sediment in it. It had floaties in the water. You ever go to a restaurant and you see floaties in your water and you're like, dude, Take it back, not having the floaties in my water today. Well, that was Laodicea water, and that is why Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, so because you were lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. See? So here's the spirit-filled question for us today. Are there floaties in my water? <laughs> Are there floaties in your water? We can clean those out. And I would add a question there. Are you in the flow of the river? Or are you trying to swim in peanut butter right now? Get into the flow of the spirit. And we're going to talk about how to do that, practically speaking, in the next few ideas. Go with me. I think we're on number three, aren't we? The spirit-filled life is one of carpe diem. Carpe diem just means seize the day. Where Paul says in Ephesians 5.16, we're, we're making the best use time. Some translations will say, make the most of the opportunity because the days are evil. Now, the days aren't literally evil. It's just time flies by so fast. And my mother told me when I was younger that the older you get, the faster time goes. And I think those of you that are aging like me, you see that, you know. In fact, 
I look around and I see a lot of your children and they grow up and it freaks me out that I see some of you kids all grown up. You're like, big people now, and it's freaking me out. And some of you who are parents know what that feels like. It's like, you know, your daughter was just born yesterday, and then all of a sudden she's getting married, and you're in a church, and she's walking down the aisle with a pervert, you know? And you're just like, what's going on here, you know? They grow up so fast. Time goes, doesn't it? And it's like, take advantage of the opportunity while you have the chance. This is why I like this old movie with Robin Williams in it called Dead Poet Society. Did anybody see that movie, Dead Poet Society? And I love that movie because you can see that famous scene where Robin Williams says to these young men, carpe diem, seize the day, boys. Make your lives extraordinary. Because life will just go by that fast. And you'll have wasted it, not taken advantage of those spiritual opportunities that are there. Now, you guys know that I love Lord of the Rings, and my sermons are just an excuse to talk about Lord of the Rings sometimes, aren't they? And I love this one scene where Aragorn is talking to Eowyn, and he says, what do you fear, my lady? And Eowyn said, I fear a cage to stay behind bars until youth and old age accept them, and all chance of valor has gone be all require, uh, recall or desire. You see what she's saying there? I fear not seizing the opportunities that I have right now, and someday I'll get old, and I won't be able to take advantage of those opportunities. I'll have wasted the time. You can make more money, but you can't get more time on this earth. And I like the way that Aragorn spoke identity into Eowyn. Look at what he said. You are a daughter of kings, a shield maiden of Rohan. I do not think that will be your fate. See what he's doing there? And I want to speak identity into you that you are going to seize those spiritual opportunities there. And so here's the spirit-filled question. Are there spiritual opportunities that you're missing? Are there any spiritual opportunities that you're missing and I can tell you one spiritual opportunity is to share Jesus with the people that you care about the most. If Jesus is the most important person in your life, then seize the day and the opportunity to share him with other people. Perhaps it would be helpful for you to invite friends to these services where they can hear about Jesus. But a lot of people won't come to these services and you go to them and you have coffee with them. You have dinner with them and you share with them what you know about Jesus and what he's done in your life. Seize the day because you'll get to the end of your life and they may die and you didn't have the opportunity. You didn't take advantage of it, see? So let's go to number four. A spirit-filled life is one of submission. A spirit-filled life is one of submission. And he talks about this in the context of the home. So the greatest place to start in seizing the day is at home in your family relationships. And can I tell you, I don't really like that word submission. I like rebellion a lot more. Feels a lot more fun. My rebellion has only led to this. I'll tell you that. And so in the home, here's what he says to, to do is to be submitted. So he's like, kids. You kids, honor your father and mother. There are people in this very room that wish they had the opportunity to speak some love and honor into their parents, but their parents are gone now. 
Those of you that are kids and you've never told your mom or your dad how much you love them, how important they are to you, you tell them. Seize the opportunity to do that. And it says to us, husband and wives, that you submit to, to one another. Isn't that the verse of Ephesians 5, 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ? This is a Greek word, hupotasso. It's a military term to, that means ranking under. And so like I rank under Christ by submitting to other people. I rank myself under them to serve them intentionally. So it says husbands submit to wives in a sense. And then ladies, it also says wives submit to your husbands. Does that mean that God likes men more than women? No, absolutely not. Now, does God like action films more than chick flicks? You bet he does. Yes, he does. And he's really glad that it's football season right now. So after church, you know, that's what we should be doing. <laughs> you know, I'm kidding there. But um, look. Here's where we submit to each other. We submit all of our email accounts to each other as married couples. We submit all of our social media accounts. Access, we submit access to our cell phones to each other. You know why we do that? Because we got nothing to hide, right? And when you got nothing to hide, you submit all that to each other so that you build, reinforce, or for some of us, rebuild the trust bridge between each other. These are some of the ways that we submit to each other. Now, submission does not mean being a doormat. If you lose your voice in a relationship, that's not submission. That's being a doormat. We saw last week in the passage that we speak the truth in love. And being submitted to another person you have to be able to speak the truth. You just do it in love. That's what submission is. And there are also times where you're absolutely not to submit. Do not submit to people when they're abusing you. Get out of there. Get to safety. If they're physically harming you, do not submit. If they ask you to disobey a clear biblical mandate, do not submit to them. You submit yourself to God and him alone. Now, most of our church is not married. So we use singles. Raise your hands real quick. Most of you are singles. Probably are singles. Go ahead. If you're not married, you're single. That's what that means. Okay. Go ahead. It's like, yeah, yeah. You identify as single. It means you're not married. That's how you identify, right? All right. The reason I had you raise your hands is, is, is that it's an honor to be single. According to the scriptures, it's a, it's a high place because you have time to, you know, uh, devote to serving the Lord. And some of you ladies are like, I didn't know that attractive guy was single. I just did you a favor. All right. Ladies, seize the day. Okay. Carpe diem. That's what it is. Just don't be creepy about it, you know. But what this passage is, is some of you should be single and God wants you to be single. And that's an honorable place. Others of you are planning to be married someday. And this is pre-marriage training here. Where wives, this passage tells you to do two things. It tells you to submit and respect your husband. Now, husbands, don't start feeling too comfortable because I'm coming for you here in just a minute. But ladies first, it says two things, submit and respect. So 
Um, I read this book, Shande Feldhahn, for women only, and she hired a survey company to interview over 1,000 men. And what they found in the survey was the number one need of men was respect. A man would rather feel lonely and unloved than disrespected. And I know some of your ladies are thinking to yourself, hey, you know, respect is earned. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to respect him unless he earns it. That's true. But there's also a parallel truth that's true at the same time, is that your words create worlds, and you can speak respect onto a man, and he'll live up to how you respect him oftentimes. You can speak respect onto him. Ladies, let me ask you this. If your man is respected at work, and he comes home, and he's nothing but disrespected, where's he going to want to be? We all know the answer. Do you want a man that loves you out of duty just because he's supposed to? Or do you want a man that loves you because he loves being around you? See, so this is why you learn to show him, speak identity onto him and learn to respect. And so wives, this is what I'd like you to do. If you're here with your wife or your husband, um, I want you to turn to your, your husband and I want you to look him in the eyes and I want you to say these words, ladies, to him, tell him. And, and by the way, you could be with your date and they have potential. Okay. This is your way of saying you have potential. Okay. So turn to them, ladies, and say, I respect you. I respect you. That was good. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. And you can see his chest get bigger when you tell him, I respect you. Now, men, um, I know the passage told the ladies to do two things, and you're not going to like this part, men. Passage tells you to do five things. And as a man, I don't think that's fair, okay? Because, you know, uh, I'm less complex than my wife, right? Men, us men, we're simple creatures, are we not? These ladies, they're complex. Why don't they have more stuff to do? We've got five things to do, and here they are. Number one, we're to submit. It says submit to one another. Number two, leave and cleave. What's leave and cleave? Well, it's not a yard tool or something like that. Leave and cleave is where you leave your mother and father and you cleave to your wife. You know what this means? Is it means now your wife is your primo, not your mama. And if some of you can get that, it'll save your marriage. You should honor and love your mom, no doubt. But now your, your first lady is your wife. She's the number one priority in your life. Number three, love her as you love yourself. So you know how, men, you take care of yourself? You know how you feed yourself and make sure you're okay physically? You take care of your wife in that way first. Number four, you wash her with the word. That is, you speak encouragement and you speak identity into your lady. You speak into her honoring things that are based on the truth of the scriptures and it builds her up. And then number five, this is the hardest one of all the things I've mentioned. You love her as Christ loved the church. It's sacrifice. See, you sacrifice for her. Do you think that a woman will not respect you if you sacrifice for her? That leads to, to true love is sacrifice for her. And this is what God calls us to do. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Guys, if you're here with your wife or a lady that has potential, to be, <laughs> I'm trying to do everything I can for you people, right? 
Here's what I want you to look her in the eyes and tell her. Look her in the eyes and tell her. And I'll put it on screen because you're not going to remember all this, guys. You're like me. You might have to go all, you look at her and then you look up the screen. Okay. Okay, tell her, I choose to love you sacrificially as Christ loved the church. Go ahead and tell her. And men, I want you to know, I just really helped someone out today, right? Later on this afternoon, you'll thank God for Pastor Doug. (laughs) It's so great. Anyways, so here's the spirit-filled question. Do I make people feel respected and sacrificially loved? That's the question. See, when we make people feel respected and sacrificially loved, it's like being filled with the spirit. That's what we do. Isn't it practical for us? Isn't it practical? Now, look at number five. This is the last one. This is very practical. Um, This is the spirit-filled life is one of musical worship. It's one of musical worship. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, 18b to 20, he says, be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so our music really does affect our well-being, doesn't it? When I was a youth pastor many years ago, this kid comes to me, he looked like he came off of, you know, out of a Hot Topic commercial, you know, all dressed in black. And he says, Pastor Doug, I like slasher movies and I like like hard acid rock and stuff. You know, the real, you know, you know, kind of music. And then like a minute later, he says, hey, Pastor Doug, why am I so angry, anxious and depressed all the time? I'm like, dude. See, what, what we take in, you know, our music, it affects us. During the last service, I was making fun of some people's music, you know. Um, but I got to point it back at myself, you know, because of some of it. But what, what I've learned is, is that I had to choose to, you know, worship with music. It helps my soul, helps my emotions. I was interested in this guy named Dr. David Greenberg. He's a psychologist and a musician at Cambridge, and he wrote this little blog post for Psychology Today, and it's called The World's First Music Therapist, and he thought he had found the first music therapist, and then he talked to one of his Jewish rabbi friends who showed him someone who was even an earlier music therapist, and it was King David, and the rabbi showed him 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 16, that says, let us find a good musician to play the harp Whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you, he will play soothing music and you will soon be well again. This is the power of musical worship. David was a musical therapist. And I remember when I first started trying to follow Jesus, I would go to church and I wouldn't sing along. I didn't like the music. And I want to tell you a couple of reasons why I didn't sing along. Number one is I didn't like the musical style of my church. There weren't churches like ours back in those days, you know, and there was this lady playing the organ and it's like she had mittens on or something, you know, it just didn't sound so good for me. And then the other reason is I was kind of self-conscious about singing out loud. And I don't know why I was self-conscious because when I would get inside my truck, I would sing at the top of my lungs, you know, I would rock out, you know, for me at that time in my life, I was rock, you know, I like Rush. Rush, anybody? 
Billy Squire, anyone, you know, wait, some the older generation, I'm talking to you right now, right? Those of you that are younger, you like, what's that, uh, that guy Pitbull? Okay, you know, you like Pitbull, you know, the, the other day, you know, some of you, it's like, um, we were up here at the Cameo the other night, and there was some, you know, naughty bunny or something at the dome, you know, you know what? <laughs> You know I'm messing with you, bunny fans. It's bad bunny. They should have called it bad outfits because the girls walking by, it's like hoochie mama outfits everywhere, man. It's like, you didn't have to wonder. Left nothing to the imagination there. But look, I'd be in my truck and I had a system. You know what I mean by system? It's like the base, you know. Probably about 15 different speakers in there. I had an equalizer with a power booster. I press a button. It's like uh, the first button, lose your hearing. Second button, make your ears bleed. Okay, that was me. Yell at the top of my lungs. My system. (laughs) I thought I should try this in church. So I went to church, and I started singing along there. And for me, the first step was like, I just say it out, just speak the words, right? So I just started speaking the words, and it started helping me, you know? And then I started singing more. And, you know, today, I worship to music almost every day of my life. I get up every morning for my coffee and my breakfast and I put on a worship playlist and I listen to worship music because it helps me get into a frame of mind where I'm drinking from the well, from the living water as I worship and I'm doing work around the house and I'm listening on my phone to a worship playlist. And it's like, I, I, sometimes I just have to put down the tools of whatever project I'm doing around my house and just worship him or I'll be driving down the road in the car and I can li- lift at least one hand and worship and I put another one on the steering wheel, you know, but I, I just cry sometimes in my car. I'm having church in there because of worship. Music helps point me to him. It helps me drink of the living water and be filled with the spirit, even when I'm driving, right? So good. And you may be like me. You need some music that maybe you could worship to. And so we're going to post on our social media and online you know, four different genres of worship music, hip-hop worship and Latin worship and gospel worship and modern worship. And the band, I'm going to have our band come and play some worship, just worship music here in a minute. And I want to ask you guys to take a step of faith in your worship today. Like participate in a way that you never have. Like just take a step, you know? And here's why. That's why it means something to me. Because learning to worship and be filled with the Spirit saved my marriage, man. Learning to worship and be filled with the Spirit has saved my emotional health. Learning to seize the day and operate in the Holy Spirit has also saved people's eternities. I remember a friend of mine when I was a new Christ follower, we were just out playing basketball and the spirit started moving. It's like, seize the day, share Christ with him. And so I shared Christ with my friend after we played basketball together. And now he he believed and he became the best man at my wedding. And we'll be able to worship God forever in eternity in heaven because I seized the day. So it's important to me. I believe it. 
is good for you. And I share things with you because I don't want you to drink from this cup. But if you drink from this one, it'll wash all that one away, you know. So I'm going to ask you to stand up. And as you guys are standing up, let me just give you some examples of what this could mean. Some of you are like I used to be. You're like really, really new to all this church thing. And you're like, hey, it'd be a big step for me to just like while the singing's going on, I'll just put out a hand. And that means you're wanting to receive something from the Lord. Just put out a hand. Some of you might go like both hands. Getting handsy with God. <laughs> some of you like raise a hand. And I know some of you that are new to church are like, why do they raise their hands? They don't even have a question. Well, it's like, you know how little kids reach up to their parents when they want some love? That's what we do. That's all it is. It's, the Bible calls it lifting holy hands to the Lord. Some of you might go full on touchdown Jesus. Some of you might just start speaking it and some of you sing it. But whatever you do, I want to encourage you and challenge you to take a step further than what you've been. You know, there are some of you that have never come to kneel at the front and pray. And today could be your first day to try it. And you're like, man, I have to step over some people and all that. And yeah, yeah, you do. But see, when you step out in faith and seize the moment, God does something special in your life. Come to the front, kneel and pray and just put your hands up out or wherever and say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, fill me, man. I want you to fill me so that it heals the relationships in my life. I want you to fill me so that I can overcome the depression or anxiety. I want you to fill me so that I would have the courage and the strength to seize the opportunity spiritually that you're giving me. You could even be a spiritual investigator and you don't even believe in God, but you can come seek him, kneel before him and say, would you even reveal yourself to me? Because if you're really out there, I want to know. For others of you who want to come and kneel and say, Holy Spirit, I want people to wake up to the power of your presence in this room. And some people don't even know you're there. And it's so obvious that you're there because I sent you and I uh, know your presence is here. And you want to pray that into our environment for other people to encounter and experience as well. And so I'm just asking you, take one step of challenge towards him as we say, Holy Spirit, you are most welcome here. Let's sing to him and worship to him. I've tasted and seen 
of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence Lord was why I sing as you welcome here Holy Spirit you are welcome here come flood this place and fill the atmosphere your glory what our hearts long for to be overcome by your presence love oh, your presence Lord. I want to know your presence oh, your joy Where my heart becomes free And my shame is 
How cool is that, God, that you're releasing Holy Spirit, opening our eyes to the presence of Holy Spirit in the room, flowing out like gracious waters of flood, of flood waters into our souls to heal people of struggles. And thank you that you're helping people come to faith in Jesus, that this is a moment to be seized, an opportunity, a carpe diem for some. And as we pray that, perhaps you're one of those ones that has never had a relationship with God and you sense a loving presence here. And that's the Holy Spirit of God drawing you to a relationship with God. And so you have to seize this moment. And so I would suggest you just talk to God right now in your own words, in your own heart. You don't say it out loud. This is personal between you and God. Maybe just tell him, look, God, look, I, I know I've sinned. I screwed some stuff up, but right now I'm choosing to believe that Jesus died on that cross to pay for my sin. And he rose again from the dead to give me like a whole new life. Welcome into my life. And the rest of us are praying this prayer and all of us can pray this out loud. If you'd like to just pray this Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, overflow from me like a drink of cold water to a hurting world. So, Father, we thank you for what you're doing, that you're pouring out your spirit on your people for your good purposes. You're healing people of stuff. You're setting people free of stuff. And we can't thank you enough for that. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said Amen. Amen. Would you guys join me in thanking the Lord for uh, the kindness that he's given to us today? And uh, you guys can go ahead and take a seat just for a minute. You know, after one of the earlier services, we had a guy uh, tell us that God did a work in him last Sunday, and he's had like, you know, a whole week of freedom from an addiction. How cool is that? Like, he said, like God did something last week, and he's had a whole week of freedom from that. And so I just thank the Lord for what he's doing. And next Sunday, we're going to wrap up the little book of Ephesians in a service called I'm a warrior, where you embrace your identity as a spiritual warrior, because there's actually a spiritual battle going on. And so we'll talk about spiritual warfare next week from Ephesians chapter six. And then we have an all tribe training coming up in September. It's going to be, I guess we're in September, but it's going to be September the 20th. And it's going to be right here at 6 p.m. here in the Cameo Theater. Pastor Joe is leading us through trauma training where we can learn to help and serve people who are dealing with trauma 
in their lives. And so uh, that it, it, you're all welcome to come to that right here in the cameo on the evening of the 20th. Now, don't have a lot of time to talk about the offering today, but one of the ways we worship is through our financial stewardship. And uh, since we don't pass buckets or plates here, you can get that done one of four ways by mail, text message at the giving stations, or you just go, you know, on any of your devices, citytribe.church slash tithe, tithe is spelled T-I-T-H-E. Um, so um, before you guys hit that up, um, let's speak a benediction over you. So if you'd like to go ahead and stand up one more time. And if you want to, you know, some of you are like, Pastor Doug, up, down, up, down. What's the deal? Okay, this is the last time. Uh, put a hand in position to receive. And then I want you to speak your identity. Repeat this with me. Say, I'm chosen. Say, I'm a masterpiece. Say, I've got the power. Say, we are one. Say, I'm spirit-filled. So all you spirit-filled people walk from here having taken a big gulp, a drink of the living water from here filled with the spirit. Go give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name and receive your reward. You guys have an amazing Sunday, and we'll see you next time. We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.